0: The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. This morning, we wanna wrap up Galatians together. There's two major things that really have been discussed in Galatians that we've been looking at pretty intensely. The, the first thing, probably the biggest thing that we've been looking at together is the law versus grace. The law versus grace or works righteousness versus Christ's righteousness that's bestowed on us. And so we've went into great lengths discussing that, and we'll talk a little bit about that this morning as well. But then the second thing that maybe you've forgotten, but at the very beginning of the letter, what was very important was for Paul to prove himself as an apostle because his authority was being questioned as an apostle by other people coming from Jerusalem. And so Paul wanted the people to know, no, I'm an apostle called by God. Uh, The message that he has given me was given to me. Nobody else gave this message to me. The Lord gave it to me, and now I give it to you. And so he talks extensively about his authority as an apostle. And actually today in Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 and also verse 17, Paul hits on that again, and we'll look at that again more in depth here in a moment. But Paul closes out this letter addressing both of these issues again. And I know as we've been going through Galatians, it can seem as if, man, we're Paul's talking about the the same thing. It seems like he continues to drive the same points home over and over again, especially when it comes to the law versus grace, earning salvation versus being given salvation by the grace of God. And I would say unashamedly that, yes, he's, he's been talking about that a lot. And yes, I have been talking about that a lot because that's what I think scripture teaches here in Galatians. I I know that's what it teaches, but as we talk about this a lot, and I think you can attest to this if you're being honest with yourself, we still can see in our own lives how we fail to grasp it every week and every day. You say, Pastor Tim, I, I know you keep talking about Grace is poured out by God. That's a work that he does that I cannot do anything to earn my salvation. I get it. Let's let's move on. And I think Paul's response and my response this morning will be, I'll move on when we live that out every day, faithfully, every day when we stop struggling with it. But the fact of the matter is, is we continue to struggle with it, to overcome living to the flesh. To overcome trying to earn God's favor. We constantly fall back into that and we always struggle with that. And so here at the end of this book that Paul has written, he wants to drive home to this church to see the truth of what he's been trying to lay out. And if you look at verse 11, look at what Paul says in verse 11. There of Galatians chapter 6. Hopefully, you have your Bible out and you can follow with me. If not, there's one there in the pew that you can grab. But in Galatians chapter 6, verse 11, Paul says, See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. This is Paul's way of saying, This is how important this is to me. Because normally, Paul would have somebody that he would be talking to and they would be writing down Paul's letter. And then at the very end of Paul's letter, he might pen just a few things with his own hand to say bye. But what most people think is that Paul had wrote this whole letter here by hand. And he's saying, look how big I am writing this. You need to know this is important. You know, it'd be like in bold today in the newspaper. It's real big and bold. This needs to catch your eye. This is important. Paul's saying, please hear what I'm saying. This is so important for you. And then he'll close the letter by again talking about these two things. And in a minute here, we're going to read uh, verses 12 through the end of verses 18. But I want to ask this question to you. And I want you to be thinking about this as I read this. What is it that you boast in in your life? As you live your life, what are the things that you're proud of what are the things that you let other people know about the things that you boast about? You know, when it comes to, to you, you know, you got to write your obituary, let's say. What are you writing in there? Oh, good mom, you know, good wife. All these things that we always read in them. Well, what what about you? What well, what do you boast in? Is it your business, your job, your kids, career, whatever? I want you to think about that as we read together verse 12 through 18. It says, as many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. By whom the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one trouble me. For I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. We're going to look at boasting and what it means to boast. And in verses 12 through 13, Paul brings up the Judaizers again, and he talks about the fact that what they boasted in most was the works of the flesh. They boasted in the things that they were doing. Just a little recap. The Judaizers were one who had come from Jerusalem. They had come behind Paul. They'd come to this church and they started to preach a different gospel. They would say, yes, Paul has it right to an extent. It's through Christ. It's through God's grace. But if you really want to be a Christian, if you really want to be a child of God, then you also need to be a, a Jewish Christian, not just Christian. You need to be a Jewish Christian. And so they were teaching them that they needed to follow the law of Moses and that they also needed to be all the males needed to be circumcised. And so what Paul is addressing here again and what he's been addressing all through Galatians is that this isn't true. We've discussed this at great lengths. In Galatians chapter two, verse one through five, it says, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. See, Paul already talked about this. He said, I went to Jerusalem and I, I met with the people that I needed to meet, meet with behind the scenes and I shared with them the gospel that I was sharing with you just in case I was doing it all or not." That's what he's saying here. But then he continues on. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they may bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment. So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Paul wants it to be clear. And he wants it to be known. That salvation is through Christ alone. It's not anything that can be done in the flesh. It's not anything that can be done with the body. A little equation that we've been using through this series. I hope you remember it. Jesus plus anything Equals nothing. If you add anything to Christ, it's for naught. It equals nothing. But Jesus plus nothing equals absolutely everything. Absolutely everything. And that's the point that Paul is making all throughout Galatians. And I, I really hope that we can all grasp that this morning. Because it is a vital truth. And it is a truth that helps us to persevere through difficult times, through through struggles. Even at times maybe in your own life where you find yourself... Slipping a little in your walk with the Lord, you don 't feel it like you once felt it or how you feel it sometimes maybe maybe you're struggling and you're and you're doubting maybe i 'm not a child of God because of this because of this. oh, the only reason you can be a child of God is because God makes you his child, not because of anything you do, not because of some special way that you feel, and that is a truth that we have to hold on to because i don 't know about you, but there is so. Many times in my life to where I wonder, God, there's no way I can be yours because look at what I've done. Look at look at what has happened to me. Look at what I continue to do. But yet the truth that I hold on to is this truth. Tim, it's not about you. It's about what I've done for you through my son, Jesus. And so this is a truth that we have to hold on to. Paul gives us in verses 12 through 13. The two real reasons why the Judaizers were going about doing what they were doing. Why were they going about sharing this false gospel? Why were they why were they coming behind Paul and questioning Paul's authority? Why were they doing these things? Well, Paul really gives us the truth in verse 12 through 13. Verse and verse, first, I'm sorry, in verse 12. It says that they did not do this because they cared about the Gentiles. That was not their concern. No, they did this because they cared about their own well-being. Look at verse 12. At the very end, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. The reason that they were doing this was because they knew that those who were teaching Christ alone were facing backlash. Those who were out there teaching the true gospel were facing persecution from the Jews. And so what the Judaizers had realized is that they had come to some sort of a agreement, kind of, with the, Jew, with the Jews, understanding that the Jews' anger would be lessened a little bit if what was taught was, uh, you got to be a good, faithful Jew first, and then Jesus, then you have the gospel. And so if you'll obey the law of Moses and if you'll be circumcised, then we, we don't have as big a problem with you. And so what the Judaizers had found out is that if they were teaching this gospel, it would appease the Jews, And they didn't have to face harm. They weren't going to face difficult situations. They were not going to experience what Stephen faced as he was stoned because of his faith, because of the gospel. He wouldn't face the things that Paul had to face, which we'll get to in a little bit. What the Judaizers liked is they found that it would be comfortable to tweak the gospel a little bit so that they could find comfort in the situation that they lived in. They didn't have to worry about being harmed. They didn't have to worry about being persecuted. What they did is they found comfort in the majority. And now in saying that, I wanna say this too, because what I find is I find good Christian people who sometimes feel the reason they're good Christians is because they always find themselves in the minority. Listen, that's not true either, okay? I'll hear people say, you know, I'm hearing from God and you guys are just all dumb, And I'm not going to go with the crowd because God doesn't want me to go with the crowd. I'm in the minority. I must be correct. I don't think that's always right either. That's not the lesson here. right? That's not what we should take from this. But what the Judaizers found is if they went with the majority, which was the Jewish people, and they listened to them and they came to some kind of compromise, that they would be safer. That they wouldn't have to worry about what might happen to them. And so what they decided is what we see Paul saying here is he's telling this church, listen, church, they don't care about you. They care about themselves. They're doing this for their own safety. They're doing this for their own good. You've got to you've got to see past the facade to see what's really happening and to see what's taking place. Man, how easy this is for us in our life, I think. Where we start doing things. Just Because. It makes it easier. We give in a little bit. We don't do the things that God has called us to because it just makes it easier. Oh, I'm not denouncing the faith. Oh, I'm not saying any of that stuff. But we, we try to just tweak it a little bit so that our friends will still like us. I don't talk about that, right? I'm not going to talk about that because it's just going to make everybody mad. I don't want people to be mad. And so we, so we hide from, from this thing over here and we, we talk more about this thing here. It's easy to attract people talking about love. It's very difficult to attract people talking about sin, right? So it becomes easy. But if you look in verse 13, there's a, a second thing. It says, For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. They did this so they could boast in their accomplishments. That's what they were doing. To the Judaizers, a Gentile being circumcised was just another notch on their belt. It was just another piece of gold, right? It was just another little thing to show off to somebody. huh? I I circumcised four Gentiles today. What'd you do? This is what I did. I changed their life, right? I helped them to finally see the truth. This is the good that I have done, that I have been doing. What what have you been doing? You see, they just wanted to boast in their accomplishments. Again, for us, I think it's easy for us to see ourselves in this. We come across this all the time. People doing things for their own good, but being veiled as good for other people. It really is a a disguise. We, We act like it's genuine, but it's not genuine at all. The The truth is that I want to look good in this or I want people to notice me in doing this. Really think about it. Think think about the, the good things that you do and how often the underlying reason why you're doing the good thing you do is because you know some sort of good might come back to you. Husbands, why do you buy your wives flowers? For no reason. Oh, there's a reason. Well, there's a reason you bought those flowers. Don't lie to me. I know exactly what that reason is. I'm going to be nice to her. I'm going to do these things. And when all of a sudden she doesn't repay the favor, she's not nice to you or she doesn't say, yeah, sure, go out with your friends. You're like, wait a second. What in the world did I spend $14.99 on flowers for? See, we, we veil this goodness when actually underneath there's something in it for us. And we'll do that with our faith. Oh, I'll, I'll go visit a shut-in. Well, why? I think God, I think, you know, God will be more happy with me if I do that. God will love me more if I do that. If I spend time with the sick, if I give my money to the charity or I spend time organizing clothes for the, for the closet at, at church, maybe people will see that and they'll, they'll like me more. They'll realize that it's real in my life. Now listen, those are good things. I am flowers for your wife is a good thing. Helping out at church is a good thing. Giving to charity is a good thing. But when we're doing that to boast, when we're doing that for safety, for ourselves, and it's not being done the right way. I wrote down just really a couple things. I think it's funny, you know, churches are really stammering right now, and I don't know where it's going to go. And I know that it could be a big deal, but the idea of churches being taxed. That's a big deal right now. How could that happen? How could we let that happen? And, and, you know, and it's being come out. We've seen that with some presidential candidates come straight out and say that, you know, churches should be taxed. And man, the church world is really in an uproar over it. And I get it. But would that would that change the gospel? Would that change if people gave to the church? Yes, I'm going to answer before you do, because yes, it would. Because a lot of people won't give to the church if it's not tax deductible. A lot of people wouldn't do that. There's a lot of pastors who won't be pastors anymore because they don't get housing allowance. They don't get a tax break like they get now currently. Some of it's legitimate. They don't make enough money. It'd be hard for them to live that way. But we act like that's the end. We act like that's going to crush us. We act like that's what propels us to share the gospel, is that if we share the gospel and we We sign up with the government saying that we are a church, that we will be tax free. We act like that is what matters. It won't change anything for the gospel. It won't. But sometimes it does show what really lies under the surface of our heart of why we do what we do. I don't think this is a good uh, way to raise money for the church. And maybe Randy's mad at me, but it's just like in December, all of a sudden we'll see an uptick in giving. Get those last donations in for your tax deduction. You want to raise it up? Oh, and we get those. And I'm grateful that we get those. But I do have to ask sometimes, what's the underlying factor in that? What's the reason behind that? Now, as I talk to us as individuals, listen, churches are just as guilty of this. Working for the flesh. I just came on Friday from the Southern Baptist Convention of Michigan's annual convention. And if you want to see people tout numbers, you should come with me. And we can go to any church function, and that's what happens. Oh, how many did you baptize? How many people, how much is your giving? What's your budget look like? What kind of building do you have now? All these different questions, and you can find them all listed in the little book that everybody scans through. And that becomes what drives us, is numbers. The numbers game. Our church is just as guilty of this. If you really want to be honest, if you look at our membership role, our membership role says 2,230 some or something like that. Now I want you to look around this morning. When's the last time you saw 2,230 some people in these pews? Oh, but when we go to the state convention, No Missionary Baptist Church is the biggest church in the state. Look at their membership roles. But then the next question, it's always foolish to me. Well, how many people come on Sundays? Oh, around 500. Oh, that's great. No, it's not. Our membership is 2,200 and some. So something is off there. But if we worked on that and we took that number down to seven or 800, it would cause some people to really panic. What is happening at Monroe Missionary Baptist Church? It must be falling apart. while Pastor Roy's gone and everything has been destroyed. See, it's numbers. And so we have to be careful of that. What do we boast in. And Paul says these Judaizers, they they boasted in their safety and then they boasted in their accomplishments of what they could get other people to do. But Paul in verse 14 and 15 boasts in something very different. In verse 14, Paul says, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. Paul really boasts in something silly here, does he not? He says, I'm going to boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't say I'm going to boast in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I'm going to boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now really think about how foolish that is. I mean, I'm going to boast in the electric chair. I'm going to boast in lethal injection. I'm going to boast in whatever torture device you can think of. That's what the cross is. The cross isn't a pretty picture. The cross is a horrifying picture. And for him to say that really is astonishing. It's, it's not normal. In fact, for the first generation of Christians, and even for some Christians today, to boast in the cross was an understanding That if I'm going to boast in the cross, there's a good chance I'm going to be on it. There's a real good chance that's going to be my end. And so it wasn't something that was taken lightly, but it was something that was very serious. And Paul would stand in front of this church with his letter as he's writing out this letter. And he would say, I only boast in the cross. John Stott, when talking about the word boast, he says, it means to boast in. To glory in, to trust in, to rejoice in, to revel in, to live for. The object of our boast or glory fills our horizons, engrosses our attention, and absorbs our time and energy. In a word, our glory is our obsession. So what Paul is saying here is he's saying, I obsess in the cross. All my glory is in the cross. My obsession is is the cross. That is my life. And if it's true, if Jesus really accomplished what the Bible says he accomplished, is it so foolish then for him to be our obsession? Is it so foolish then for us to boast in him and what he has done? Think about this word obsession. I think we all have some obsessions. You might call them little obsessions you have to make them sound better. I have this little obsession with this or with that, I realize even in my own life, little obsessions I have. This this week, there's a big day for me coming up with one of my obsessions. And some of you share that with me. November 15th is a big day for some people. I'd be one of them. So much so, I was thinking about this, right? Thinking about what do you boast in? What do you do? So much so that yesterday, it was cold out yesterday. I don't know if you went outside. It was cold and windy. I would go outside at 10 in the morning, to make sure that my gun worked well. And I would do that until two in the afternoon. And I would take that gun inside and I would clean it. It I had to clean it really good. I would would clean it out and it wasn't shooting exactly how I wanted to. So I would go back outside and I'd shoot it again until I got it just where I wanted to. And every time I pulled that trigger, I knew it cost me about three bucks for everything that was in there. And then I would go back inside and I would clean it all again. I would get it all nice and ready, put it in its case, and I would spend four or five hours doing that for an obsession for something I enjoy. And I got to thinking about that afterwards. You know, I had a good time doing it. It was fun and it was enjoyable. And I got to thinking, what if if there was a class on Galatians and they said, hey, it's gonna be outside. Are you cool with that? No? Uh, it's gonna be on Saturday. Pass. It's gonna be four hours. It's gonna be four hours long. No. All I need to know about Galatians, grace better than works. Thanks. Done. Finished. You see, I, I wrap myself out, and again, I don't I don't think there's anything wrong with hobbies. I don't think anything I did yesterday was wrong or sinful. But I think it's something that we need to realize. Would I be as excited in the cross as I am in that? Am I so quick to go and to do the things that the Lord calls me to do because I'm completely obsessed with the cross of Christ and what it means to me? Am I ready to go and do whatever it takes to make sure it gets done well and it gets done right and what God has called me to do? Am I ready to do this? Listen, Christian brothers and sisters who are here this morning, the cross should enthrall you. It should draw you in. It should be your glory. So that when people look at you and they say, what is what is it about you? How can you walk through this trouble in life? You can say because of the cross of Christ. That's the only reason. Man, wife. how can you love that Husband, because of the cross of Christ. How do you keep raising those kids? Isn't that tiring? Yes, but because of the cross of Christ, I keep doing it gladly with joy in my heart and my life. Think about the things that happened on the cross. I'm going to read some verses. Don't look them up. I don't even know if they're going to be on the screen. But think about some of the things that happened on the cross. Jeremiah 31, 33 to 34, which we've already read. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. When we boast in that cross, we boast in the fact that Jesus Christ himself became that curse. Take God's wrath. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. On the cross is where Christ became our substitute. Where he bore the wrath of God in our place so that we did not have to experience that. On the cross we are told in scripture that death was defeated forever. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The reason that's a question and not a statement is because Christ has made it a question. Where is it? It's not there because of the cross for us as Christians. For us as believers, it's not there. The cross is the only thing as Christians we have to boast in. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul would say, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. One of the things, though, that we still have to understand is that in boasting in the cross, there is a cost. Oh, it's worth it. As I just read, when you look at what the cross means, the cost is worth it. But Paul would say in verse 17, look what he says. From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. you got to ask, what does that mean? What does Paul mean? He bears the marks. Is this some special thing that we should dive into? Is it some number? Is it something that would be put on our body? No, what it means is Paul faced multiple situations in his life where his life was literally at stake for the sake of, Of the gospel. Uh, This section that I'm going to read for you is a little longer, but just bear with me because I hope it makes sense in the end. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 21 through 27, Paul is talking to people who are cocky about who they are. They're bragging about who they are. And Paul wants to interject. And so he interjects, and this is what he says. Listen to him. He says, but whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day, I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure." Paul here is boasting about all the things that he has done for the Lord, all the things that he has embraced for the Lord. Right, he's talking to this church who is who is boasting about the things that they had done for the Lord and he is saying, ha, "You haven't even come close to what I've done yet. Good try." I don't know about you, but I wouldn't my life would not make it halfway through that list. If I get shipwrecked once, I'm not going to get shipwrecked twice. I won't be on the ship again. Especially if I'm adrift at sea. That's one of my worst nightmares. So that's not going to happen. But yet we look at this list and we see all that Paul would go through. And we might even say something like, man, Paul, you kind of are, you're kind of laying it on thick here. I mean, you, Paul goes straight out and says, I'm a better servant than you. But you see, the story didn't end there with Paul, because in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, just a little bit down verse 9 and 10. This is how Paul kind of wraps the section up. It says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What Paul understood is he's, he's like, yeah, I have all these things that I can talk about as a Christian, but all those things really just show weaknesses, right? I'm getting beat, I'm getting stoned, I'm getting shipwrecked, I'm doing all these things. These are all, these are all failures in the world's eyes. I don't have anything to boast in. Paul says, all I have to boast in are my weaknesses. All I have to boast in is the cross. He understood the cost. But he also understood that it was worth it as a child of God. And as you boast in the cross, understand you will bear the marks of it. You will. If you're walking around today and you're saying, I am a child of God, but yet you do not bear the marks of what it is to be a child of God. I really do think you've got a question. Are you really a child of God? You see, the Judaizers would walk around and say, I'm a child of God yet they bared no lashings. They bared no persecution, no hardships. Because they had made a deal. If we tweak the gospel a little bit, you'll leave us alone. Sure, okay, deal. So often that's what we do. But you see, as we're faithful to the gospel, what happens is this. We're walking and we're facing the world and we're striving after the things of the world. But then God, by his grace, saves us. And what happens is, is the world is not our goal anymore. That is not our finish line. And so we turn from that goal and we, we start walking towards a, a different goal. The cross of Christ. To honor the cross of Christ. But here's the problem. When you turn your back on the world, you become exposed. And so as you face the cross and as you walk towards the cross, you got to remember this. The Bible tells us that Satan roams around like a lion. And now lions attack when you're vulnerable. They attack when your back is turned. And what you have to understand is when you turn your back to the world and you say, I'm not for you anymore. I am for the cross. Listen to me. The lion is going to scratch you. The lion is going to pounce on you. The lion is going to wound you. The world will come at you with everything. And you might walk the rest of your life on this earth limping. You will bear the marks of what it means to be a Christian. You will have lost friends. You will have turned loved ones and family members who once welcomed you into their home. They, they don't welcome you there anymore because of the gospel. I'm not saying you're not loving. I'm not saying you're not kind. Last week we ended saying do good. Do good. But because of the truth that you live your life by, you will bear those marks. But Peter would tell us in 1 Peter chapter 4, he would say, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice. That's weird, isn't it? Peter would say, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory <clears throat> and of God rests upon you. <clears throat> but verse 15, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Church, this morning, I think the call for us is very simple. We must go forth bearing the marks of the cross and proudly boasting in that alone. In Jesus and what he has accomplished for us on the cross. Oh, we can't boast in the size of this church. You didn't do that. I didn't do that. The the work that's been done by the members of this church for 80 some plus years and what God has done through the church. Listen, God has done that. You have not done, done that. God has done that. and So all we have to boast in is what Christ has done. And so I want to encourage us this morning in closing. Do not give in to the things of this world. But boldly hold on to the truth. That salvation is found in faith alone, by God's grace alone, in Christ alone. That's all we have. But when I say that's all we have, that's not weak. It's not like me saying, all I have is 50 cents. When I say all I have is Christ, that's me saying I have everything. That's you saying we have Everything in Christ alone. Let's bow together and let's pray. And then we're going to sing a song together. God, help us to not feel short-changed. God, I, it's, it's shameful even saying that, I feel like. So often we feel short-changed in saying, I have Jesus and that's enough. God, forgive us of that. God, help us to boast in the cross. Help us to take those wounds. Oh, we will take beatings. On this earth, we will face so many things. God, there were so many Christians before us who faced death and were killed. But God, what you said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 rang true for them as it does for us. Oh, Death, where is your sting? How the world might look at them and say, there's that sting as they kill them, as they crucify them, as they stone them. And oh yes, God in the flesh, that would hurt and it would be so difficult. But God, as your child, we hold on to that hope and that truth. That death is our victory because of Jesus and the cross. So God, help us not to boast in the things of our flesh. Help us not to lean on our flesh. Help us not to lean on the things that we do, but to fully put our hope and trust in you. God, it's a battle that continues to rage even in the hearts of those who've trusted in your grace. And so help us to grow closer to you to understand these truths even more. God, I pray for those people here this morning who need to experience your grace for the first time that you would pour it out on them that they would see what has happened on the cross and that they would believe it with everything they have. Lay their sin down at the feet of Jesus who bore the wrath of our sin for us. God, this morning, I pray that we would be a church who boasts in the cross. A church who doesn't get caught up in numbers, who doesn't get caught up in things, but boasts in in what you have done and what you continue to do. And in your truths, God, I thank you for the book of Galatians. I thank you that the Holy Spirit urged Paul to pen that letter to that church. And God, even though it was written so long ago, how we can see so clearly the truths of it that still remain in our hearts. The things that we still struggle with, even they struggled with. God, help us to overcome those things by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. God, as we sing this last song to you, help us to worship you through it as a church together, and after we're done singing, help us to be dismissed, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.